Super Talk Mississippi media production. Coleman Taylor Transmission, servicing Central Mississippi for over 60 years. Their ASE certified technicians offer dependable transmission services, a warranty, and record services. Call Coleman Taylor today for all your transmission needs. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes, baby. In a Mississippi minute. That's right. We're coming to you from the Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studios. I'm Steve Azar. Thanks for tuning in. Today is a fellow I've known for quite some time. A man whose time served in the music business and on the road especially with some of the greatest acts in history is unparalleled. From Black Oak, Arkansas, the Eagles, Leonard Skinner, Tina Turner, the Bee Gees, are you kidding me? Jackson Brown, Foreigner, Fleetwood Mac, and many other legends. He traveled the world many times over and over and then unpacked his suitcase and settled in to run the historic Ryman Auditorium and keep acts like me straight which is a tough thing to do. There's so much more, so let's get it on and welcome my man, Bob O'Neill. Hi, Steve. Uh, living the dream here. After I got off tour, I uh, settled in uh, Batesville, Mississippi, which is uh, where I grew up. Wow. Hey, Bob, let's talk right. about technology and your job and what you did in the past versus today and the difference, you know, what it would be. I mean, you get out on the road, you didn't have a phone. You had your band and you were running things. You had to, you know, you had to get to a hotel or a payphone. You I mean, you didn't have the bat line straight to the management companies you were working with and all that. I mean, so compared to today and being effective versus yesterday, have you ever thought about that? Well, it the progression sort of came. It it was heaped upon us uh, in the seventies. There was no, there was no cell phone. There was no. Um, there were no fax machines. And then as we got toward the mid-80s, I believe it was uh, Tina's tour in 87 where we, we, the tour management and production team, became universally computerized, but it wasn't laptops at that time. We were carrying desk, um, desk set computers. We were, all, we were all Apple guys, so we had a... Uh, a Mac and uh, printer that was the uh, you know the size of a toaster oven, <laughs> and uh, we were sent and fax machines came along, so we were sending our daily production numbers to the management, business managers, etc. Uh, every day because we would change all of our phone numbers um, daily with the phone lines that the promoters were providing. It was probably up into the early 90s when we really started getting cell phones and the um, 
the ability to maintain a number and have one universal number for the um, key tour staff right. came into play. So uh, I spent uh, my time on the road um, experiencing the evolution of the technology. Um, it has grown. Uh, it's grown tremendously since I retired from touring. And like you mentioned in the opening, I became the operations manager at the Ryman in 2001. And that was um, the moment that I separated myself from the, uh, the growing technological evolution of um, the touring business. I uh, uh, must admit I'm pretty, um, I'm old news with regards to the uh, modern uh, 2019 touring technology, uh, I would probably um, be embarrassed if somebody tried to start a conversation yeah. with me about what they do these days. I'd, um, <laughs> I couldn't keep up. Well, well we're talking to Bob O'Neill, uh, one of the greatest tour managers there ever was. Uh, his legacy and the acts that he represented uh, prove that. I mean, that's written in stone. Uh, as far as technology for me, I mean, I've learned to do everything on my phone. I've got a computer. I've got an iPad. I'm looking at my iPad right now as we speak, so I'm an Apple guy as well. Uh, I can't work the other. I like drag and drop. You know what I mean? Like, I like things. That you yeah. And that's what that's what Mac does. But it's so funny that if you look back, no matter who was upset about what or what was going on, you didn't know about it because they couldn't text you or couldn't call you. So I guess you'd get it all every all the uh, if there was any mess going on and, and there was an issue, it would happen on one call and then you'd be good to go. So you didn't have to deal with just constant bombardment of constant you know emotions that people you know a lot of people just text exactly what they're feeling they don't take 24 and they just roll then all of a sudden you've got this mile-long conversation going and uh it's, it's like you're always dealing with something rather than dealing with it at that moment so i guess technology in, in that way plays and in your world that you grew up in uh you better you you were blessed not to have to deal with this we're talking to bob o'neill i'm steve azar in a mississippi minute bob well the Go ahead, I'm sorry. There was um, a colleague of mine, uh, now deceased, Patrick Stansfield, who is also a, um, a world-renowned uh, tour manager, did Neil Diamond, uh, wound up being the, um, the Pope's representative for his live appearances in the U.S. On, for two different Popes. Um, Patrick uh, said to me one time, you know, these computers... Um, there, there's nothing we we do that we couldn't do with a legal pad and a pencil, and um, he was absolutely right about that. But it certainly uh, streamlined the process, the the guest list, and all the stuff that goes on with the uh, backstage day to day on a um, on a tour. Right. It just uh, the computers coming along changed the landscape dramatically backstage. Um, ha having said that, um, we were still doing the same things in general. We were just doing it with a computer instead of with a pen and a legal pad. Right. And w Bob, the other thing too, is not only backstage, but out front, you know, you got people running on the side, running their monitors with their iPads. They've got, you know, the technology for that now. And I'm watching them walk around the room and, and, you know, they've got a little bitty tablet in their 
in their hand, and I'm going like, that's insane, not the big, huge board, you know, that we were so accustomed to. Well, the the, uh, the walking around the room there, the sound systems are, you, you can uh, adjust the volume per uh, speaker cluster and tune the room. Yeah. Uh, the, the live music experience has been improved dramatically over the... Uh, the Led Zeppelin 1970s days where there was very little uh, separation between the bass and the drums and everything else. And, and, uh, the, it, it all depended really specifically on the acoustic properties of the building. Oh, yeah, building you, you, you were, were at the mercy most, of the room, right? The, the, most of the sports buildings had uh, <laughs> that had hockey teams and basketball teams, uh, arenas, didn't have any consideration put forth toward the acoustic properties of the room and it was uh act like the eagles and pink floyd and others that came along later that had a um a, a high level of concern about their live presentation and they would hang curtain systems up in uh up high in the room to break up the sound waves and make it more uh tolerable uh right. is a word uh but it, they improved things dramatically and made the buildings begin to understand that they had to take some measure uh, to do that. Uh, FedEx Forum in Memphis has uh, probably uh, half a million dollars or more worth of sound uh, of acoustic treatment up in between the beams of their ceiling to uh, make their room sound really good. And uh, people that come in there... Um, can attest to that. People that come in there, audience. People that come in there, artists. Right, right. We're the, you know, we were the last. Well, when I was touring with Bob Seger for that year, we were the last ones to play the Pyramid, and the Pyramid sounded good. Oh, but that I, was horrendous. Oh yeah, but you know what? That I remember <clears throat> knowing because I'd done a sh- show with Alan Jackson there. I'd played some other shows, but. For some reason that night, and Joe was Joe's listening right now. He was manning the board as always, and it sounded really good that night. You know, as an artist, you can tell. You know, even though you're hearing monitors, and, and the thing about Bob and his band, the whole Silver Bullet band, they they did wedges like we did. I mean, I was I'm still a wedge guy. I tried the you know the earbuds and all that, and I felt so separated. So I'd pop one of them sort of out so I could hear the crowd. And, right, uh, and you still th- had the wedges. Yeah, I still had the wedges, <laughs> and everybody was going like, "You got like eleven thousand different monitor systems going." But eventually, they, as you sweat, you know, the hair, my hair would sweat, and then it'd, it'd kick them out out of my ears anyway, because I had them, you know, sort of half unplugged anyway, and so they just weren't going to stay in. And uh, and I think we've solved that. You, I'm going to ask you a question that you brought up a second ago. I'm with the great Bob O'Neill. He's hanging out in the Mississippi Minute. We'll be right back. You can now follow the latest updates across the state with News Mississippi, the exclusive news partner of Super Talk Mississippi. On air, online, and now on the brand new News Mississippi app, you can select the news and weather alerts you want. Just look for News MS in the Apple App Store and on Google Play. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. 
Steve Azar. We're in the Keep Mississippi beautiful studios. I'm looking around. I, it is clutter-free. And I've got my man Bob O'Neill, one of the greatest tour managers in history. And I got to meet him at the Ryman Auditorium, which was a place that I always dreamed of getting to play. And finally, when I did, he was the first face we saw. And uh, how cool was that to have a Mississippi man? Uh, it just it, He always made me feel at home. We're with Bob O'Neill. Bob, you mentioned something about the Pope a little while ago. And being a Catholic, I, I'm curious. I never thought of the Pope needing a tour manager. you got to clarify. Well, it, it wasn't tour manager so much as production manager. Um, stage the event. Make sure that the, you know, the uh, do you call it the podium? The, yeah. the um, pulpit, the, uh, the lighting, everything that went along with pr- making a presentation of the Pope speaking to hundreds of thousands of people in attendance in Central Park. I know that that was one of the places, and they did another thing out in Denver. I don't know what venue they used. They may have used the stadium, but they certainly, the the Pope used uh, Patrick Stansfield and his um, skilled group of um, minions to to make these events occur. up to standard and um you know in the in the context of um of that event patrick met uh, a couple of popes uh i'm i'm not sure of patrick's uh, religious affiliation but i think that uh everybody uh thinks that the um the pope carries a lot of weight uh globally uh perhaps more than any other individual there's over a billion catholics and uh that's um that's a pretty large number. Yeah, yeah, I love it. We're talking to Bob O'Neill. We got that straight. He's probably responsible for making sure the Pope Mobile has some fuel in it. Wouldn't run out of gas in the middle of the crowd. Bob, okay. Right. Yeah, well, that's as funny as I'm going to get on this show today. All right, Bob, you got to take me back to growing up. I always like digging in the past of our guests. Like, when you were doing what you started to uh, on a journey to do, were your folks like going like uh, Bob's taking a gap decade, like he's out and traveling the world, and he's gonna figure out what he's gonna do when it's all said and done? Now I'm being I'm being trying to be a little bit, I'm being facetious and I'm and I'm being sarcastic, but the truth is, how did they your folks support what you did? When I was in high school, and bear in mind that I uh, I graduated in 1968. Um, Martin Luther King got killed in April before I graduated in May. Uh, Robert Kennedy got shot in June before I went off to my freshman year of college. Um, it was a tumultuous time, to say the least, but since I was about a sophomore or junior, I had been playing in a band in baseball, um, and I had the music bug big time from the Beatles, the Animals, the searchers, uh, the entire British invasion, the Rolling Stones were the um, sort of the the milk in my coffee. They were they were there. They were part of my DNA. Um, my mom was always supportive. Always. My dad thought my hair was too long and I was uh, going to be um, a loser um, to doomsday. Uh, but after I. I went to Northwest Junior College. I guess it's community college now up in Sunatobia. And 
after three semesters of uh, and being an accounting major and actually being on the dean's list, I was making great grades, but I just told him, this, I'm done with this. I'm not learning to do what I want to do. I've got no interest in being an accountant for the rest of my life. I've got to figure this out. And my mother was totally disturbed. She was going, you'll never go back to school again if you drop out. You, it, you'll be over. And as it turned out, she was absolutely right. I never went back another day, but I made my way into the music business, entered into into it via a little portal in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, the the myth goes I um, fell off the turnip truck in Memphis and got picked up by a tour bus, but it wasn't quite that simple. Um, the years in Memphis from, say, 1970 to 1973, um, I just fell in with the the musical core in Memphis that was, you know, actually recording music, playing live shows regularly, and being involved, and translated that into jobs on tour with uh, some of these bands, Larry Raspberry and the High Steppers, oh, yeah. and yeah. some other acts that were um, actually doing uh, meaningful amounts of work up there, and wound up getting hired by the lighting company that did Black Oak, Arkansas. And that was a tremendous introduction to um, the world of touring. Um, they were a premier talent act. Barbara Skydale was their RA, which means uh, responsible agent. And they were playing headline dates all over North America. And we spent a long time doing a three-act uh, show with uh, Black Oak, Fog Hat, and Montrose. And this was the time when uh, Sammy Hager was the lead singer of Montrose. And uh, it was um, mostly general admission shows in places like uh, Hara Arena in Dayton and um, uh, Cobo Hall in right. Detroit and playing the the major arena venues and it was a total learning experience for me. I mean, it was like a college education in conducting rock and roll tours, which uh, evolved into working with the Leonard Skinner band immediately after that, uh, still as doing lighting, but I became the lighting director for Skinner. And that was uh, the opportunity that got me overseas the first time we went to um london and well went to the uk played multiple dates there the very first show i did with skinner in um in the uk was at the empire theater in liverpool and you know here's a board from basel mississippi uh in the beatles hometown and uh i was just it, it was such an adventure such an yeah, adventure yeah and i got the idea at the time that if I play my cards right, I can get an expense-paid trip around the world, which was, I mean, when I lived in Batesville, by the, at the time I graduated from high school, I'd never been further west than Hardy, Arkansas, never been further east than Gatlinburg, Tennessee, or further south than Biloxi. I, I was very reg regional in my, I don't know, worldview, mm -hmm. but the, uh, the, exposure that I was getting to the rest of the world um, changed changed my mindset in a lot of ways. Um, but it um, 
You know, it was just a question of following my nose from one opportunity to the next. There never was a uh, a map laid out with a destination on it. It was just uh, about the journey and the adventure, and and not so much about anything other than that. I um, managed to resist the urge to uh, get married and settle down, which uh, was a um, sort of the the heart of what most of my uh, classmates did. They saw getting out of high school as, uh, well, we better get married and start having kids now. And uh, that was uh, probably as far down my list as it could go. (laughs) We're talking to Bob O'Neill. You get to play DJ. This is the portion of my show. And you know that Mississippi being the birthplace of American music is it. So all of your British invasion that you loved growing up, uh, I have so many friends that got in the music business because of that. It all sort of stemmed from us. They were inspired by us. So, would you like to hear, let me pull this out of my hat here, Bobby Gentry or Paul Davis? Paul Davis. That was quick. I'm with the great Bob O'Neill. He's hanging out. You're in the Mississippi Minute. We'll be right back. and I newly married and I was working on making my mark on the music business. We wanted to build a house. There was only one bank that helped us do that. And while we were trying to find our way around, our friends at Guarantee Bank started on the journey with us and have been there ever since. They were always my connection back home when we lived in Music City. They believed in me. So when you need a financial institution to believe in you, give my family at Guarantee Bank a chance. With humble beginnings all the way back to 1943, Guarantee Bank has grown from offering basic banking services and products to serving customers with a comprehensive, complete line of expertise and products, only expected at much larger institutions. They are proud to be your local big-time bank. Please visit one of their 17 locations and tell them Steve Azar sent you. Guarantee Bank, member FDIC. News Mississippi, on air, online, and now on the brand new News Mississippi app. You can select the breaking news and weather alerts you want. Just look for News MS in the Apple App Store and on Google Play. That's News MS in the Apple App Store and on Google Play. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Coming to you from the Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studios. I'm with the great Bob O'Neill. Bob, you mentioned accounting. You know, when I think of somebody that did your job so well, you you had to be accounted for a lot of things, and people counted on you. So it, it makes sense to me that you just took what you 
you, you, you know, your, your, your strong attributes, the, the characteristics that made you who you were, that was organized. And you had to be that on the road. Everybody, especially when you're dealing with a bunch of derelicts like me, you had to deal with, uh, you know, there was a lot of looseness to the musicians. You were a musician, but you were a musician that was in control. I guess is the best way to do it. And people looked at you to make sure that things ran smoothly. Take me to a situation that got really hairy and that you said, oh, my goodness. It almost could have got you fired and it wasn't even your fault. Is there any memory or recollection of that? The memories that come to mind that are, yeah, the um, production disasters, um, light system that's ground supported collapse or uh, torrential downfall uh, caused rain to pocket on a uh, outdoor roof stage and collapse the roof. Um, that happened with Fleetwood Mac. We were doing, um, I think the venue was called the Tangerine Bowl at the time. It was a venue in um, Orlando, Florida, and it was Fleetwood and Kenny Loggins and others um, playing. On, it was during the Rumors Tour. This would have been in 1977. And... Uh, torrential downpour occurred and the roof collapsed the, the front truss of the roof right. broke at center line of the stage mm. and we wound up um moving the um the audience away getting a um high lift long reach uh lull out there uh lifted the front of the roof put a vertical uh piece of truss <laughs> at center line on the stage and then Fleetwood went on and played their show. <laughs> and that happened, you know, the doors were open, so it must have been after 4 o'clock. And we wound up getting the show done sometime after midnight. But it was, um, yeah. you know, those were the thing time when you really got to put your um, thinking cap on and come up with um, a means to... Um, to execute the task, which is have a concert for the ticket-paying audience and not send everybody home disappointed. Right. Um, the uh, cancellations of shows uh, have an audience in a building and have to um, um, tell them that due to whatever circumstance uh, that there will not be a show here tonight uh, and, you know, have certain levels of uh, defense in place, you the house audio guy says, send me the four biggest security guys out here before I, I if, <laughs> send me four guys and I'll give you a live mic <laughs> with the transaction. Uh, uh, but that was, um, you know, it, I recall that that was a Fleetwood Mac show and uh, Dave Williams, who was uh, a um, one of the uh, fundamental uh, individuals at, Cellar Door Productions in, in Washington got up and made that announcement to a house full of people at the uh, Capitol Center. And, um, <laughs> you know, there along with that, there were some really, I mean, one-of-a-kind experiences. Um, right. Tina Turner having a multi-platinum record party after a show in Paris. Uh, we had the restaurant level of the Eiffel Tower for a private party for that went on till you know three four a.m. Um, and being a you know private party on the Eiffel Tower is something uh, uh, 
I, I don't have the budget to pay for it, that's for sure. But that was an exciting moment. I love it. We're talking to Bob O'Neill. We're rocking from the Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studios. I am. He's in Batesville, Mississippi, where he grew up. Uh, I've spent many days in Batesville. He's looking at my brother's building where he's running the economic development, uh, all things uh, for Panola County. And uh, I'm thinking that uh, I'd have some, I wouldn't be rocks. I'd throw some something with a little bit of cushion, a lot of tennis balls maybe. I don't know. Or maybe I'd be hitting I'll probably Go ahead. When I leave here, I'll probably go over there and knock on his door and say hi. Uh, <laughs> th- thank him for uh, the, um, the boost he gave me uh, to get you um, looking toward me. I got it, man. I'm loving this. Okay, so when I moved back to town, Bob, I was managed by the same group. It wasn't many of us that they were managing. It was Sanctuary, which was owned by Universal. Um, the original, uh, the, the owner, Carl Stubner, he started with Andrew Dice Clay in the heyday, but he made his way from comedy into music, and he had Fleetwood Mac and ZZ Top, and he had me, which made not didn't make a lot of sense, but uh, his, his guy, Tom Storms, so I managed myself and Emerson Hart and Tonic, and I think they had Slash and Tommy Lee. I think that was the extent of their roster. And so uh, we went and hung out with Mick. I'd never, I didn't know Fleetwood Mac. I didn't know those guys. Obviously big fans. Uh, I knew Billy Burnett really well, who would take the place sometimes and play guitar. When I was making right. my, my records with Rafe Van Hoy, he was really good friends with Rafe. And uh, he would show up a lot, and he would be on and off the tour. What was it like touring with Fleetwood Mac, especially Mick Fleetwood, who's a big, tall guy? Very tall guy, like 6'6". That was an eye-opener in a lot of ways. Uh, That was sort of the next in the sequence after Leonard Skinner Band and the Fleetwood Mac tour that we did was the Rumors tour, which in 1977... That was a very big deal. There were network TV, in like the local affiliate of ABC, NBC, and CBS, would all have crews at every show. And when we got to town, uh, I mean, the rumors was hit after hit after hit after hit right. for one album. It sold hugely. Um, the Eagles and Fleetwood were sort of um, in competition, a, a friendly competition to see who could put the most butts in seats across the touring cycle that year. And um, we w- wound up after, toward the end of the uh, tour cycle, we went to um, Southeast Asia and, well, Australia, New Zealand, and Japan. And that was... Uh, my first trip, and that was in nineteen. That would have been in late nineteen seventy-seven. Uh, first trip uh, across the Pacific, and on our way back from Japan, we stopped in Hawaii and played at um, at the Blaisdell Center in Honolulu. And because John lived over in Lahaina, <laughs> we uh, flew over to Lahaina and did a um, the very last show of the tour cycle on the tennis courts at uh, at a Lahaina resort and uh, then had a Hawaiian holiday uh, following the uh, end of the tour. So that was a, um, a wonderful experience. My uh, wife at the time, um, 
who was a California girl. Uh, we had a nice, uh, what amounted to our, our honeymoon was in Honolulu following the end of the tour. Um, the, as, as far as the individuals within the band, um, John McBee is uh, a, a most approachable human being. And um, the uh, Stevie was sort of a, a Stevie. She, she had herself surrounded with uh, uh, Robin and Christy, who did hair and makeup for her, and they were the Silly Sisters. Right, 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 <laughs> and, right. Uh, um, Christine another very approachable person in fact in my to to my mind christine is the um, the best singer in the bunch i'd, I'd much, much rather uh hear christine songs personally than she's uh, incredible than, she's incredible yeah, yeah. and uh, that's another thing i wound up being christine's production manager on her solo tour in the early 80s and um just gained an even greater appreciation for her musicality and her voice is just it's it's fantastic you and uh the the chemistry of that band was unmistakable you um could just see that they all brought something significant to the um, to the venture mm -hmm. and they all added substantially to the whole it was um that that was a uh another learning experience for me to see uh uh men and women playing that way together and being so impressive every right. show was sold out it was a uh it was a magical tour to have any level of involvement with i'm with the great bob o'neill we're coming to you from the keep mississippi beautiful studios Beginnings all the way back to 1943. Guarantee Bank has grown from offering the basic banking services and products to serving customers with a comprehensive, complete line of expertise and products only expected at much larger institutions. We are proud to be your local big time bank. So when you're looking for a bank you can truly depend on and trust, and like me so many years ago trying to find my way around, let Guarantee Bank with its 17 convenient locations help you on your journey and become a wonderful addition to your family like they have mine for over 30 years. Guarantee Bank, member FDIC. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. talking to Bob O'Neill. We're not we're, we're sort of stumbling sideways right now. You're in the Mississippi Minute. Bob, your time on the road, you're out there and all of a sudden you go, I think I'm going to start I'm going to unpack everything like I, I talked about earlier and I'm going to settle into the Ryman, which is one of the most historic musical venues in history. Okay, so every time I play, so I was excited, excited to play the Opry, but I was I was thrilled to death 
to play the Opry when it was in the fall or moving into the winter and we'd move it to the Ryman. The feel of that stage, it just feels like you're at church. It's like doing the national anthem on Monday night. There's a feeling about wow. it I can't explain. So, I mean, like w- with artists that would come in for the first time or maybe the 50th time, was there a reverence that you just saw when they'd come out and they were like in awe every time? Absolutely. Absolutely. There were uh, occasions while I was there, and uh, just backtrack a little bit, the idea wasn't to um, get off the road and go to the Ryman. The idea was to get off the road, and then I I see a 30-year career. Take 1970 to, to the year 2000. First 10 years, you're taking all the jobs you can get, and the next 10 years, I was in a position to pick out the job mm-hmm. that I wished to take. And the next 10 years, I'm thinking, I need to figure out a way to get off this ride and maintain the lifestyle to which I've grown accustomed and stay involved, but not necessarily have to sleep on a shelf on a bus every right. night. <laughs> and um, the realization that I had pretty much reached the point uh, touring where uh, I wasn't it's sort of like Andrew Lux said, the joy w- had gone out of it somewhat. Right. I, uh, um, the 36th time you go back to Des Moines or Fargo or somewhere just didn't really hold that much um, excitement anymore. And I had um, worked with Winona in 1996, and she had a, um, a lady who worked in her management office at Y, Inc. Um, that had gone on to become the general manager at the Ryman. And I had re- maintained contact. The lady's name was Pam Matthews. And I, yeah, I uh, had maintained contact with Pam. And uh, when I said, um, I'm going to sell a house. I lived in Palm Springs, by the way, or actually La Quinta, more specifically, uh, when I was in California. And I spent 25 years uh, with a domicile in California. So uh, wow. it, it was, uh, I'm going to get back uh to the south. Uh, that much I knew I was going to do. And she said, well, where are you going to go? And I said, well, I'll probably go to Memphis and figure out what I'm going to do when I get there. And she said, I got an idea. Maybe uh, you could come with me and work at the Ryman. And so she um, just threw out the red carpet for me and uh, offered me um, that the opportunity of a lifetime to work at the historic Ryman Auditorium. And um, I had enough of the Southern uh, heritage in me that I, I got it. I got what the place mm-hmm. meant. I got the level of um, reverence with which it was held. And um, I got to go in there and in the course of the next uh, eight years um, see a parade of talent come through the door, uh, one of which was a um, new kid on the block called uh, Keith Urban yeah. who had... Um, local management there and they did one um uh cma uh week cma fest they uh had a fan club meet and greet at the ryman and keith came in and i um walked the um the guest book for the ryman into his dressing room and uh introduced myself and asked if uh uh he would do us the honor of signing our guest book and he like Oh, yeah. And <laughs> can you leave it with me for a minute? And um, I left him the guest book, and uh, he wrote 
the most endearing paragraph about what it um, meant to him to be there and to have the opportunity to play on that stage. And uh, it it really stood out in my mind, and that led to a um, a, a recurring uh, friendship uh, with Keith. And uh, by the time later, he would come to shows at the Ryman, and he would come in through the stage door rather than run the gauntlet of uh, fans out in the lobby. And uh, I'd meet him and uh, take him to his seats. And uh, so we uh, became, you know, uh, it's hard to say friends, but respected associates. And uh, uh, he married Nicole. He brings Nicole in and introduces her. And then he comes back in later on and says, yeah, Bob, you know Nick. Uh, so uh, <laughs> that was uh, one of the many uh, just uh, perks, minute episodes yeah. that, that made my life uh, meaningful at that time. Well, you've touched so many people. you touched my life. Well, Bob, I can't thank you enough for taking a Mississippi Minute with me. Nobody understands it or appreciates it more than you do. Been with great Bob O'Neill. He is Mississippi true and true traveled the world with the greatest acts and kept them in, in check. And uh, you've been in the Mississippi Minute to keep Mississippi beautiful studios. You guys have to get me. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. Feeling down? Here's your prescription for a daily dose of good news and positive vibes. Good Things with Rebecca Turner. Every afternoon, Rebecca highlights all the good things happening right here in the state you call home. Daily exposure to good things with Rebecca Turner may cause smiling, feelings of positivity, happiness, and even laughter. When you experience these symptoms, tell your friends to listen. Okay. Weekdays starting at 2 p.m. here on Super Talk Mississippi and now on Amazon Alexa devices. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.